Awesome. Well, hey, it's great to see you this morning. Like Seth said, uh, we just, I know some of you were here for that baptism last week during this service, but it's just a great opportunity. We love to celebrate when anyone who's part of our community and our family uh, takes a step of obedience, and especially in baptism, we love to get a chance to celebrate that together. So celebrate with Tony, excited for him, and excited about that step of faith that he's taken. Um, if you are a guest with us here today, or if it's your first time here, or you missed the past few weeks here at Grace, you've actually caught us in the middle of of a series, and so we're in the middle of a series right now we've been calling Patterns That Change Us, and just to sort of catch you up to speed with what it is that we're talking about in this series, basically we're looking at patterns of life uh, that Jesus Christ himself taught and exemplified in his life that lead to genuine transformation, and so really in a nutshell, what we're saying in this series is we're saying that Jesus didn't simply come to give his life, which of course he did. Jesus came to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. But even more than that, Jesus also came to show us how to live, uh, that Jesus exemplified and taught us a pattern of life uh, that leads to joy, that leads to the fulfillment that he desires, uh, that leads to transformation as he defines it. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're actually talking very practically about those patterns. We're saying, what are those patterns? How do we place them into our lives? And how do they lead to transformation? How do they lead to the change that God desires? And so, so far in the series, just as a kind of a quick recap, we've actually looked at two patterns already. And so we talked about the pattern of solitude and community, spent a couple weeks on that. And then we talked about the pattern of fasting and feasting. And we spent a couple weeks on that pattern as well. And we talked real practically about, hey, what are those? How do you put those into your life? And then how does that bring about the transformation that God desires? And so this week, as we're kind of continuing in this series, we're gonna keep looking at a third pattern that we started looking at last week. And that is this pattern right here, is the pattern of secrecy and confession. Secrecy and confession. And so last week, we spent the whole time talking about the idea of secrecy. And now this week, we're going to be talking about the other side of this pattern. We're going to be talking about confessions. We're going to be talking about together is this idea of confession. And if you were with us last week, you might remember, this is what we said. We said that this whole pattern really is all about and involves your private life, right? That's what this whole thing is about. It is a pattern that is about and is interested in and involves your secret life, like who you are when no one else is watching. And, and we put it this way last week. We said that this whole pattern is, you can think about it this way, it's about the closets in your life. And so I pulled out this portable closet last week as a little bit of a metaphor uh, to, to basically be an analogy of a certain particular part of your life, your closet space, the who you are when no one else is watching, what you do behind closed doors. And here's what we said last week. We said that this part of your life is really important. And, and the reason this part of your life is important is because all of us have this, right? All of us have closet spaces, who we are when no one else is watching. And we said that this part of your life is maybe in some ways, if you think about it, maybe the most authentic portion of who you are. Uh, we looked at a famous quote from a guy named Blaise Pascal. Pascal was a 17th century French philosopher, and he said this. He said, what you are when you're by yourself is who you are. What you are when you're alone, what you do behind closed doors when no one else is watching is maybe the most authentic part of who you are. And we said, that, you know, there's actually a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. And so it shouldn't be surprising to us then that Jesus comes in and that when he teaches, he actually has a whole lot to say about this part of our life. 
He has a whole lot to say and a whole lot of instruction as it relates to how we are to pattern this part of our life. And again, last week, if you missed it, we said this. We said that what Jesus teaches about the way that we should, that we should pattern our lives in this part of our life is actually in many ways the exact opposite of the way that many of us want to pattern this part of our life. And so here's what we said. We just kind of simply put, we use this very simple analogy, maybe a little overly simplistic, but hopefully it does the trick. But we said in all of our lives, we said that there is bad stuff that we do and there is good stuff that we do, okay? So the Bible would use maybe different words for that. The Bible would say that there is righteous things that we do. That is uh, good things, right things that we do for God, that we do for others, to serve God, to serve other people. And there's bad things that we do, right? That would be, the Bible would call that sin. Sinful, harmful things that are offensive to God, that are hurtful to ourselves or hurtful to other people. And here's, here's what we said. We said that most of us in our lives we tend to want to take the good things about our life, and we tend to want to be known for those, right? We want, we want other people to see these things about us, the good things, the righteous things that we do for God and for others. We want people to recognize this part of who we are. And we said a lot of us kind of want to be known for these things. And we said, and on, conversely, when it comes to the bad things in our life, the things that we're ashamed of or the things that we know that we have knowingly done wrong, we said that a lot of times what we do is we want to hide those, we want to make sure that no one else knows anything about that. We want to keep those in the closet spaces and do whatever we can to kind of keep those things behind closed doors. Now, what Jesus does is he actually teaches us the exact opposite. And Jesus says that there is a way that we should pattern our private life that leads to transformation, but it's not always intuitive. And so what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying that we should actually take the good stuff that we do, the acts of righteousness, and we shouldn't simply do those out here. We should. But we should also practice. We should get into a practice or to a rhythm or to a pattern of looking to do these things when no one else is watching, where it's not going to be seen by other people, where it's not going to be admired by other people. Jesus says we should fill our secret life with good things. Now, that, by the way, is what we spent all last week talking about. That was the idea of secrecy. If you missed that, by the way, you can go back to our website, our podcast, or to our app. You can listen to that. I think it might be helpful to you. But the other thing that Jesus is going to say, and this is what we're going to look at today, is Jesus is going to say that we should take the bad things and that we should actually work at exposing these and getting them out here. We should actually look at exposing them and then letting someone else know about those things, getting them out of the closet. In this, that act that I was just showing you right there, that is confession. This is where confession comes in. So today, we get to talk about the fun part of this conversation, and we're gonna talk about this idea of confession. Now, here's what I know. I know that even when I say today we're talking about confession, that there's a number of people that are in this room who probably came from a whole lot of different backgrounds. And so some of you, maybe you grew up in a religious tradition, maybe you grew up in no religious tradition, maybe for you, you grew up in a tradition where uh, confession was a part of that, and uh, maybe that involves some different things, and maybe for you, confession is a whole new idea to you, and all I'm saying is I know that as it relates to this topic, that there's probably a lot of different experiences that are represented in this room. And I also know that there's probably a lot of questions and honestly, maybe a lot of confusion. And I think even more than that, maybe a lot of fear, maybe a lot of fear attached to this whole, whole topic. So for example, when I say we're talking about confession today, some of the questions that might immediately come to your mind are maybe questions like this. You might be saying, okay, well, like, are you talking about like getting the bad stuff out of here, exposing that and like, you know, letting other people know about that? All right, well, like, how do you do that? Um, like, practically speaking, what, what exactly does that look like? How is a person to implement this in their lives? You might be asking, what do I confess? So you're saying bad stuff. 
But like, what level of bad stuff exactly? Like, is there a line in which you're supposed to tell someone you're not, you know, what does that look like? Um, who do I confess to? Now, again, I, some of you maybe grew up in a religious tradition where you were taught uh, that you are to confess your sins to some religious professional, maybe like a priest or someone who's like an ordained person or something like that. Some of you grew up in a tradition where you were taught, no, you don't confess to a priest. You don't need a priest. You just tell God and God will, he'll forgive you. And as far as the east is from the west is, you know, he'll never remember your sin again, you know, just whatever. And maybe you were taught that. Some of you might be asking, how often should I confess? Like, what's the, what's the frequency of this? Like, is it once a quarter? Like, do I schedule it? Is it like going to the dentist? Like, what, what is exactly how this work? What if I don't? Right? So some of you might be saying, what, what, what's, what's at stake if I don't confess? Uh, does that have any bearing on my standing with God or any effects on my eternal realities? Does it have any bearing on it? So, so you can see... A lot of questions, a lot of confusion, and quite honestly, maybe even some fear that's behind this whole thing. So my hope today, my hope with the time that we have, is to demystify this whole topic by hopefully giving some biblical clarity. What does the Bible say about confession? And my hope is to be as clear as possible at what Scripture teaches. And then my hope is at the end of our talk today is to give you some very practical suggestions of how you can implement this pattern in your life and how it can lead to transformation. Now, I also want to say, before we look at what the Bible says here in just a minute, I also just want to let you know, um, today's conversation at certain points is, is probably going to get a little heavy. And I think it's important that I let you know that. But it probably is no surprise to you. I think anytime you, you start talking to someone about um, hidden shameful things that we keep from other people, that's pretty sensitive stuff. And so I just, I just want to let you know that I'm aware that, that this is going to be a little heavy in certain parts. I think that's okay. And the reason that I think that this is so important for us to talk about is because I, I genuinely believe this with all my heart, and I've experienced this in my own life. I believe that what God teaches about confession, when you have a true biblical understanding of what he teaches that this leads to unbelievable liberation and to unbelievable life change, that this is a pattern that can change you. And that in this pattern, I don't think God wants something from you as much as I think God wants something for you. I think there's something that God wants for you in the act of confession. And my hope today is that you would see that and that you would experience that, that you would experience that. So, okay, so let's talk about this. Let's start with the Bible. What does the Bible teach about confession? All right, well, there's a, a number of places you could go in Scripture to kind of help understand what biblical confession is. But I think there's two passages, two premier passages that I think give us kind of the most clarity on this topic. And the two passages, the first one is this. It's 1 John chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible, this is actually the passage I want to ask you to turn to because we're going to spend most of our time here. So 1 John chapter 1, uh, that, by the way, is going to be found on page 855 in the Bibles under the chairs. So if you didn't bring a Bible, you can feel free to use one of ours, uh, page 855. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take one of ours. You could just have that as a gift. So 1 John 1, like I said, we're going to spend most of our time in this passage and kind of digging at that so you can open your Bible there. The other passage we're going to look at is James 5, but you don't need to open your Bibles there. I'll put that on the screen because we'll just briefly mention that one. But let's just take a look at these together. So let's start by looking at these two passages compared to each other, just right next to each other. So here they are. Okay, so we'll start off 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If you have your Bible, it says this. It says, if we claim to be without sin, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, then he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. 
All right, so that's 1 John. And here's James, James 5. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed, that you may be healed. All right, these are kind of the two premier passages that I think add the most clarity to what confession is. Now, upon first observation, you might notice that probably the thing that unites these verses the most is the use of this phrase right here. It's the phrase, confess our sins. They both use that same phrase, confess our sins, confess your sins, confess our sins. Now, even though that might be obvious and might seem pretty basic, what's not immediately obvious, and this is what I think is so important, is that when you look into the original Greek language, which is the language that the Bible was written, uh, the New Testament was written, you will see that these two words, even though in 1 John and in James and the English translation, it uses the same term, they are two Two different terms in the Greek language. They're actually two different. They're related, but they're different. And I believe that understanding what those terms are and looking at them in their context really adds a whole lot of clarity on this whole topic. So what are the terms? All right, well, let me show them to you. So just bear with me for a sec. I'm going to nerd out on you for just a minute. I want you to bear with me because I promise you this is going somewhere. I think it's going to add a lot of clarity. So first, John, what is the word for confess our sins? Well, here it is. It is the word homologeo. That is the word, homologeo. Now, you don't need to remember that. You don't need to know that. It's the word homologeo. The first thing that came to my mind when I read that was lego my ego. And I don't, that's neither here nor there, but that's just what shows you what's on my mind, right? So, so homologeo. What is homologeo? Okay, the reason I'm showing you this word is because it comes from two root words in the Greek language. And those two root words are first off the word hamu, hamu, which means together or same. And then logos or logos, which means word or say. All right, so hamu, logos, homologeo. So what does that mean? Here's what it means, all right? So what, it, what does it mean to confess? What does it mean to homologeo? Literally, it means this. It means to say the same thing. It is to say the same thing that God says about my sin. That's what it is. It is I am saying it the way that God says it. I am calling it what God calls it. I am putting myself in a place of agreement. I am agreeing with God in what he says about my sin. In other words, homologeo is placing myself under God's authority to determine and to judge that which is right and that which is wrong, that which is good and that which is bad in my life. I am allowing his definition of those things to become my definition of those things. I think that this definition of, of confession is so helpful, and I think it makes sense, especially in light of the, uh, of the context of this passage. Take a look back at 1 John again, and I want you to notice what it says in 1 John verse 5. So just back up a few verses. Here's what it says in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and we declare to you. All right, let me just pause there for a minute because that's real important. So here's what John is saying. John is saying, this is a message we have heard from Jesus. So, so John's saying, I didn't make this up. I heard this from Jesus. John was one of Jesus' closest disciples, maybe his closest disciple on earth. And he's saying, I heard this message about confession from Jesus and I am relaying it to you. And so that's important. This is Jesus' teaching. So he says, this is the message we have heard from him, we declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. All right, well, what's that talking about? Well, some of you might know that throughout the Bible and more specifically in the New Testament, the imagery of light and darkness is oftentimes used to refer to that which is morally right, morally excellent, morally upstanding, and that which is morally deplorable, morally degrading, and morally wrong. 
right? So light and dark is really talking about that which is good and that which is bad, that which is right and that which is wrong, that it has this idea of morality attached to it. And so what is John saying? He's saying God is light. In other words, God is perfectly moral, that God is perfectly right, and that within him there is no darkness, there's no sin, there's, no bad, there's nothing bad in God. And because of that, what John is saying and what Jesus is ultimately saying is that because of that's true, God is the only one, he is the only one who can definitively and correctly determine that which is good and healthy and helpful and right for us and that which is hurtful and harmful and sinful towards us. God is the only one who can determine those things. And so he says this, he says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So what's he saying? Here's what homologeo is. Okay, real simply put, homologeo is saying, I am going to open up my life. I'm going to open up my heart. I'm gonna open up this place in my life and I'm going to let the light of God shine in. I'm going to let God's light shine in and I'm going to let him determine what this is. And what he calls it is what I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna agree with him. And so I'm gonna open this part of my life and I'm going to come into a place of agreement. I'm gonna let God's light shine on this and then I'm going to allow him to determine that which is right and that which is wrong and I'm going to place myself in agreement with him. Now that might sound pretty easy and pretty easy to understand, but I wanna tell you, this can be really difficult. This can be really difficult. And the reason it can be difficult is because a lot of times for many of us, the bad things in our life, we have a way sometimes of rationalizing, minimizing those things. We have a way sometimes of, of, of making them more palatable. We'll put them in more palatable terms and we'll compare ourselves to other people. So you're like, what are you talking about? Well, let me just give you a few examples. So you might do something like this. You might say, well, yeah, I got some bad stuff in here. I got some bad stuff in here. But if I was to ask you about it, you might say something like this. You might say, well, you know, yeah, you know, I got some bad stuff. You know, sometimes my eyes wander a little bit. Yeah, sometimes my, you know, I, I admit it. I got some bad things. My eyes wander. Maybe I look sometimes at things I shouldn't look at. And, and God would look at you and he would say, uh, uh, no, that's not what I, I, I have a word for that, actually. There's something that I call that. God would say, I call that, I call that lust. That's the word that I use for that. I would call that lust. I would call that sexual immorality is what I would call that. And you might look and say, well, no, that's a, that's a little overreactionary. Okay, I don't know if I would go that far. And God would say, well, okay, well, look, we're not agreeing then. That's not homologeo. Homologeo is, God, I'm calling it what you call it. And I'm seeing it like you see it. And I'm saying it like you say it. That's what it is. Uh, sometimes we're like, it's just a little white lie. It's a little tiny white lie. It's a little, little white lie. And you can even hear it. It just sounds, you know, it doesn't even sound like harmful. A little white lie. And there's bigger lies. Other people tell big lies compared to other people. It ain't nothing. And God would say, well, well hold on a minute. I have, I have a word for that. I call that something. What do you call it? I call it deceit. I call that lying. I call that being dishonest. And you'd be like, well, it's really, I mean, the ends justify the means. And, you know, blah, blah. And um, God would say, well, we're not agreeing. We're not in agreement here. That's not, homologeo is I'm agreeing with you, God. I'm, pl I'm placing myself under your light and I'm calling it what you call it. And I say, oh, I, got a little, I got a little chip on my shoulder. I got a little chip, a little chippy chip, chip on my shoulder. <laughs> it even sounds, it doesn't even sound like a bad thing. It kind of sounds cute, doesn't it? I got a chippy, I got a little chip on my shoulder. And God would say, no, 
No, that's, it's bitterness. That's unforgiveness. It's unforgiveness. We'd say, I got, it's just a fling. You know, I got this thing worked out. There's different people. There's different cities, and I travel, and it's just a fling. It's just a side thing going on. It's just for fun. God would say, no, no. If you were to open that up to me, I, I, have a, I call that adultery. I call that adultery. Well, I don't know if I go that far. Okay, well, this is what homologeo is. I'm agreeing with God. I said a little too, I said a little too much. Again, I'll, you know, loose lips, sink ships. <laughs> and uh, you're like, no, no. God's like, I call it gossip. You are purposefully, maliciously slandering the reputation of another person. And God would look and say, now, here, here's why this is such a big deal. This would be like me going to the doctor and being like, yeah, doc, it's just a little lump, just a little lump. And he's like, no, it's cancer. And I'd be like, well, I don't think it's that big of a deal. He would say, listen, unless you see it the way I see it and say it the way I say it, this thing is gonna devour you. And, and so God would look and he would, this is what, what confession is truly all about. It is I am agreeing with God. I'm putting myself in a place of agreement. Now, again, this, this, this whole concept is it might seem simple, but it's a lot harder than it might seem. And the reason that this is so difficult, and I think for many of us this is so difficult, is really because, in part, the society that we live in. Now, some of you guys know, and we're all aware, we live in a society today where we have separated spirituality from morality. And we live in a society where we are very spiritual. We like spirituality, but in a lot of ways, we have rejected the idea of moral absolutes. It's interesting, I was, uh, I was listening to a reading, I should say, this book by C.S. Lewis, and he wrote this 70 years ago, and I want you to notice what he said. I think this is truer today than it was when he wrote it. He said this, he said, speak about beauty, truth, and goodness, or about a God who is simply the indwelling principle of these three. Speak about a great spiritual force pervading all things, and you will command friendly interest. Now, what's he saying there? I like what he's saying. He says, hey, talk about like this vague notion of spirituality, that there's beauty and that there's goodness and that God is like the indwelling principle behind those things. He said, you're gonna make friends. People are gonna like you. That, that's something that's real popular today, right? But then look what he says next. But the temperature drops as soon as you mention a God who does one thing and not another. A concrete, choosing, commanding, prohibiting God with a determinate character. Then people become embarrassed or they become angry. I think he's right about that. You know, you talk about, hey, God, God is a God of love and beauty and he's the indwelling prince. We're like, yes, but if I say, but God would also look at us and say that you're doing something wrong. We're like, well, now who do you think you are to tell me that? And, and we think that we're the moral judge who determines what's right and wrong for us. And that's not what homologeo is. Homologeo is no God I am subject. In a lot of ways, homologeo is an authority issue. It's an issue of placing myself underneath the authority of God and opening myself to him. Now, I think in a lot of ways, this is very helpful. It's helpful because it helps us understand what confession is, but I think it's also helpful because it also teaches us what confession is not. So let's talk about what confession is not. All right, well, let's just start here. Confession is not about, first and foremost, informing God of my sins. All right, that's not what confession is. This isn't me educating God and letting him know what's in here. God, I just gotta tell you what's in here. He already knows. All right, he already knows what's going on in here, and so it's not just me listing an inventory of the things that I've done wrong. No, homologeo is me opening this up to the light of God and saying, God, I am coming into a place of agreement. I wanna say it the way you say it. I wanna see it the way you see it. That's what it is. So it's not simply informing God of my sins. Secondly, confession is not emptying my bad stuff box so I go fill it up again, all right? Now, 
I don't know how you grew up, but I guess tell you, in a lot of ways, this is how I grew up, okay? I grew up that I had my bad stuff box, and I, I knew that it wasn't like got what God wanted, and so I was told that I need to go, and I need to confess this stuff to somebody, and I would think to myself stuff like this. I'd be like, okay, well, you know, I got this bad stuff box here, but there's also, there's also this party coming up this weekend, and I know I got to fill this thing back up again. And so I probably better go confess and I probably better get that thing out of here so I can go fill it up this weekend. And then after this weekend, I'll go back and like it's a trash receptacle or something like that. And let me just tell you real quick, that's not confession, all right? I don't know what that is, but that is not close to, it's a stupid little game we play with God, like somehow we can fool him or trick him. I'm just telling you, that's not what confession is, all right? Any, any form of confession that becomes an intellectual agreement but doesn't actually lead to life change, isn't true confession. Because homologeo is I'm coming into agreement with the purpose of life change, with the purpose of changing something. All right, confession is not rationalizing or justifying my wrongs. That's real important. So homologeo isn't me saying, okay, God, I did something wrong, but the reason I did it was because of her. And if she wasn't, then I wouldn't have been like, now. And uh, that's, uh, that's just not it, right? Confession is, no, God, I was wrong. And you, you, you call it wrong, and I'm calling it wrong too, regardless of the, the factors that were involved in, it, in all of that. And the last thing I'd say is that confession is not listing my sins to a specially qualified church leader. Okay, that's just not what it is. And, um, and so it's not going to a priest. It's not going to a pastor. It's not going to... Uh, someone who's a professional person and then confessing your sins to them so that they can give you penance, right? So the things you have to do, like pray prayers or do certain things so that you can be absolved of your sins. That's not what it is. Now, listen, I know that for those of you who maybe are Catholic that are here today or you grew up Catholic, you might recoil when I say that because you've been born and raised that way and you've been taught that. And I just wanna say this because I can understand that. I can just completely understand that. But I just wanna say this, that idea of penance that you confess to a priest and he absolves you of your sins and gives you certain things, that does not come from the Bible. It just, it just doesn't. It's birthed from tradition. So it started at about 600 AD. And you can look into it if you want to. It's kind of when it started. It's just not a Bible thing. It's just not a Bible thing. The closest you're gonna find in the Bible is in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, the Israelites would confess their sins to the priests. And the reason they confessed their sins to the priest is because the priest was a mediator between God and man and they were the only ones who were qualified to make a sacrifice for sin. That's why. Well, the New Testament comes along and the Bible tells us that Jesus is the true high priest who has sacrificed for sins once and for all. And so because of that, the Bible says there is now no mediator between God and man except for the person, Jesus Christ. And so what that means is you can come right to Jesus anywhere you are and you can confess to him. And, and you don't need to make penance for your sin. He has already paid for your sin. It's already been covered because of the cross. Now, again, if you're someone who's Catholic or you grew up that way, you might recoil at that, right? And if you're Protestant, you might be saying, yeah, you tell them Catholics about how they're wrong. And you tell them about how we just get to go talk to Jesus. You don't need a priest. You just talk to Jesus. Uh, right? Now, let me just say, if you're a Protestant, not so fast either. Not so fast. Because that's not exactly right either. And that's where the other passage comes in. This is where James shows up. So let me show you James real fast. This is James 5. Look what James says. Confess your sins to, say it with me, each other. Each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. All right, like I said, the word confess here, confess your sins, is a different term in the Greek language than 1 John uses. What is the term James uses? He uses the term exemologeo, exemologeo. 
It's similar, it's related, but it's different. Ex homologeo comes from homologeo, which means agreement, but it adds this portion right here, ex, which means out, which means expose, which means to exit. So what is ex homologeo? Super simple. Homologeo is, I'm opening this up, I'm letting the light of God shine in on this, I'm gonna let him call it what it is. Ex homologeo is, I'm taking it out. It's exiting. I'm exposing it. I'm bringing it into, it's not a secret anymore. I'm telling somebody else about it. I'm bringing somebody else into this whole thing. That's what eximo logeo is. It's no longer in the closet. It's now out of this space. Now, that is the idea of eximo logeo. Now, what I think is so interesting, I think this is so interesting, is if you look at James, you'll see that eximo logeo, confessing to others, is not fundamentally about forgiveness. That's not what it's about. What's it about? Well, it's interesting. Look. It's about healing. And so it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you might be healed. Not forgiven, healed. Now, that's real interesting. What do you mean by healing? What do you mean by that? You mean like physical healing? You mean like if you're sick, it's because like you sinned or something? Or are you t- you're talking about, clearly you're talking about spiritual healing, right? Or maybe psychological healing. Or maybe, maybe physiological. What kind of healing are you talking about? Well, let me just tell you, without getting too into the weeds on this, I think the answer is, what kind of healing? I think it's um, all of the above. All of the above. Uh, the word that's used for healing is actually a very general term that's used all throughout Scripture for deliverance. And sometimes it refers to deliverance from physical infirmities. Sometimes it's used for deliverance of spiritual, psychological things. Here's the bottom line. I think the principle is that dishonesty and hiddenness about our sins bring spiritual, psychological, and physical misery. I think that's the point. In other words, unconfessed sin affects you. It just does. It weighs on you. It it costs you in a lot of different ways. I'll I'll show you a a passage of scripture I think might be helpful on this. This is in Psalms 32. So Psalm 32, this is David talking about unconfessed sin in his life. And look how he describes it. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Uh, through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Now, you notice how he describes the effects of sin, of unconfessed sin in his life. Now, admittedly, this is poetic, right? This is poetic literature. But I think what's significant is look at the stuff he says. My energy was sapped. It was heavy. It was just heavy. My bones, man. It was just like I could feel it in my bones. What does he talk of? Spiritual, psychological, physical? I think it's all the above. It has an effect on you. It can, it can affect your well-being and your health. I think, again, the point here is that this, this can affect you in many different ways. But look what he says in Psalm 32, verse 5. He says, then I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and then you forgave the guilt of my sin. Then he goes on in the rest of the psalm to talk about the freedom that he experienced as a result of it. I think that there is certain health, freedom, and life that God desires for you that unconfessed sin can be a barrier to you experiencing And your heavenly father loves you so much and he cares about you so much that he wants you to experience the fullness of life. And part of the fullness of life comes and experience the health that comes with confession. And so what I want you to understand, what I want you to hear me say is that confession is not about self-condemnation. That's not what it is. It's not about you feeling like shame. Oh God, I'm just a terrible person. God, never lie. That's not what it's about. It's not about penance. It's not about making payment for your sin. Christ has already done that. It is about, and it should lead to, 
a restored relationship with God, a restored relationship with others, and ultimately to health and to healing and to joy that God desires for you. That's what it should lead to, to freedom. That's what he wants. Now, hopefully now you get kind of a good understanding of what the Bible teaches on confession. Now you might be asking, okay, so like, how do you do it? Can you help me? Can you help me put some skin on this? Practically speaking, how do I implement this pattern in my life? All right, well, why don't we start with this? Let's talk about confessing to God. Homologeo, how do you do this? First John, homologeo, confessing to God. What are some ways you can do this? All right, I'll just give you three things, three real simple things. I think the first thing you're gonna do is this. Ask God to search my heart. Ask God to search my heart. I think that this is where it begins. It begins by taking some time to say, God, inviting God, opening your heart, opening your life, opening this place in your life, and saying, God, you wanna search my heart. Just look in here. Maybe you could pray something like it says in, in, uh, in Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting. Maybe you pray that prayer. Search my heart, Lord. Is there any offensive way within me? Is there anything? And here's what I believe. I believe you can do this anywhere. I believe you can do this in the quietness of your own car on your, you know, trip to work. I think you can do this in times of solitude, like we talked about a couple weeks ago when you practice solitude. I think you could do that right here, right now. I think you could ask God to search your heart right now. I think you could ask him in just a moment, we're gonna have time to worship and sing. You could do it right then and there. You can ask God to search your heart. And I believe that this is a prayer that your father would love to answer. And if you would be willing to open yourself up, I think he would show you. So you, you, you search your heart. And here's the next thing, search God's heart. It's not, it's not enough just to ask God to search your heart. You have to search God's heart in scripture. So if homologeo is, I am coming into a place of agreement with God, it is hard to agree with God if you don't know what he said. And so how do you know what he said? You subject yourself to his word. And in his word, you get to know God's heart. And as you look at God's heart and you look at your heart and you realize there's a discrepancy between those two things, that's when confession comes in. That's when you homologeo, and that's when you do the third thing. You come into a place of agreement, and you repent. You say, okay, God, I'm looking at your heart. I see my heart. Wow, there's a difference there. I am going to agree with you. I'm going to move into a place of agreement, and then I'm going to repent. Now, don't be scared of the word repent. The word repent simply just means to do an about face. It means I was going this way, and now I'm going to go this way. And so what does it mean to repent? It means, God, I, I see what you say. I'm going, to, I'm going to say it the way you say it. I'm going to see it the way you see it, even if I don't even fully understand it. This is what you say, and you think it's serious, and so I'm going to agree with you, and then I'm going to change. I'm going to change. I'm going to stop, or I'm going to start something different, and that's what it looks like. Now, how often do you do this? Well, I think because we're sinful people, this is like, this is like a, a daily thing that we have to come to God and we gotta confess and Lord, search my heart. And this is, there's corrections along the way. We're never gonna get it totally perfect. But the hope is that we grow in this and experience the life transforming power of confession. Now, what about other people? When do you practice eximologeo? All right, so let's get into that. When do you confess to others? When is it time? Well, let me give you a few biblical considerations that might be helpful to you. All right, here's the first one. I think when I have directly and knowingly wronged another person, it is time for me to eximologeo. It is time for me to confess to somebody else. When I have cheated someone, when I have wronged somebody, when I have knowingly and purposefully hurt somebody, uh, when I have cheated somebody, when I've stolen from somebody, it is time for me to eximologeo. It's time for me to confess. And you're like, well, who do I confess to? 
I'll tell you who confessed to. In this, in this one, you confess, you confess to the offended party. That's who you confess to. You go to the person that you hurt. You go to the person you harmed. You go to the person that you've stolen from or you've cheated from, and you confess it to them. I want you to understand that in the Bible, the idea of confessing sin is, is in many passages directly attached to the idea of reconciliation and restitution. It's the idea of, I did something wrong against another person, and so I'm going to tell them, and I'm gonna make it right with them. Uh, a great example of this would be uh, the story of Zacchaeus. Some of you who grew up in church, you might remember, remember the story of Zacchaeus? Uh, Zacchaeus was, um, uh, he was a wee little man. And uh, a wee little man, tell me, was he, right? Now, if you didn't grow up in the church, you're like, I do not know what just happened right now. And let me just say, don't worry about it. It's really dumb. But uh, so Zacchaeus was this, this, this tax collector. And he, as a tax collector, was a cheat. So he would have ripped people off. He would have used his profession to line his own pockets. He was very dishonest and became very wealthy uh, off of his dishonesty. So he comes to know Jesus. He has a real encounter with Jesus, and he puts his faith in Christ. And as a result of that, he confesses to Jesus his sin, that he has ripped people off. But then notice what he says next. This is what Zacchaeus says in Luke 19. Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay it back four times the amount. So you see what Zacchaeus says? I'm confessing to you, Jesus. I've done some bad stuff. I want to make it right. I want to make it right with the people I've hurt. And notice Jesus' response. I think this is so interesting. Look what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. This is so fascinating. Verse 9. Zacchaeus said to him, don't get too crazy, little Zach. You've already told me about the bad things you've done, and that's good enough. You don't need to make it right with others as long as you confess to me. Now, is that what Jesus said? No, I made that up. What did Jesus say? Here's what Jesus said. Today, salvation has come to this house. In other words, he says, right, that's right, because true confession means reconciliation. It means restitution. The numbers, the book of Numbers says the same thing. It says when someone wrongs another in any way and is so unfaithful to the Lord, that person's guilty, and they must confess the sin they've committed and make full restitution for his wrong, add one-fifth to it, and give to the person that he's wronged. This is a biblical concept. I've wronged you. I've hurt you. I'm going to confess it to you. I'm going to make it right. And even then some. Restitution is the idea. So what's that look like? Well, if you've, if you've cheated somebody, maybe it's time that you talk to them. If you've lied to someone, maybe you need to sit down and have a cup of coffee, humble yourself. This takes a lot of humility. And say, listen, I, I have to just confess. I've hurt you. I've wronged you. I've stolen from you. Maybe you need to talk to your employer. Maybe you need to talk to your spouse. Maybe you need to talk to a friend, your neighbor. Maybe you need to talk to someone. But that's when Eximo Logeo shows up. And I, I know it's difficult, but I'm telling you, this can change you. This pattern can change you if you practice this. When, when's another time you confess to others? Here, here's another principle. When there's a habitual or reoccurring sin or addiction, I cannot fight on my own. When you find yourself in a position where there is a habitual reoccurring thing in your life, sin issue in your life that you just cannot seem to beat on your own, I think it's time to implement the pattern of confessing your sins to others and praying for each other so that you might find healing. 
Listen, for some of us, man, we're in a place in life where there's some stuff in here and we, we don't like it and no one knows about it, but we don't like it. And we find ourselves continually coming to God over and over again and saying, God, ah, I did it again. And gosh, I just, man, I feel so bad. And I, I agree with you. I know it's wrong. I don't want it in my life. It's ugly. And I hate that it's there. But then you're like, after you confess it, a couple days or a couple weeks go by and bam, you're back again. And you just keep doing this over and over. God, I'm sorry. God, I did it. God, I'm so sorry. And it just continues to be a habitual, reoccurring sin issue or addiction in your life that you have. And listen, for some of you, you've been doing this for years, years of just, oh, I'm going to change. I'm going to do it. And then the next day you're, God, I fell again. And it's just, man, it's paralyzing you in a lot of ways. And I just think that there is a lot of freedom that is found in this. For some of you, maybe there is an internet porn addiction and you just, you cannot seem to get victory over this thing. Maybe for you, there's a, you know, an eating disorder and no one knows about it. And you're like, I'm gonna get control of it. But you've been saying that for a real long time and you keep finding yourself in the same pattern of guilt and shame and you feel like you can't defeat it. And maybe for you, it's a substance addiction issue. Maybe it's an anger issue that, you know, you, you, you have this anger thing and it shows up in your family and it's the family secret and no one's allowed to talk about that thing. And we'll get a hold of it. We're gonna change. We're gonna be different this time. Maybe it's something that you're doing to yourself. Maybe it's cutting or whatever. And I'm just saying there's a lot of different things. This is where this comes in. This is when it's time to confess. Now you're like, well, who do I confess to? Who do, who, do I, who do I take this out to? Do I just like, do I just take this out and broadcast it to everybody? Is that what I do? Do I take it to a pastor? Do I take it to a priest? And the answer is, well, no, not necessarily. You don't take it to a priest. You don't need to come to me and tell me. Who do you tell? Here's who you tell. You tell Pastor Seth. That's who you tell. <laughs> no, no, no. Here's, here's who you tell. You find a, a trusted friend who loves Jesus and who can help you, who can add accountability to your life, who will love you and who will pray with you. That's what you Someone who can carry that with you. That's what you look for. This is why we need community. This is why a couple weeks ago, like some of you might be saying, I don't have a friend like that. This is why a couple weeks ago we talked about community. This is why that's so essential. Christian community is not a luxury. It is, it is an absolute essential thing for those of us who follow Christ because we need each other and we gotta help carry this stuff. And so if you don't have those kind of friendships in your life, get, get into a life group, get connected, build friendships, get connected to disciple making, and get in a place where you can sit across a table from someone and bear your heart and bear your soul and confess your sins and be healed. I believe that some of you are one faith step away from experiencing liberation and freedom that God wants from you. If you would find confession, it'll change you. It'll change you. All right, one more. When to confess. When the accuser won't shut up, it's time to confess. When the accuser just keeps pointing it's that thing that's in there that you've never told anyone about and he won't shut up about it, I think it's time to experience the liberating effects of confession. Now, what do I mean by accuser? Okay, so if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, those of us who follow Jesus, we believe that we have an ancient adversary and we don't think it's a joke and we don't think it's silly, we think it's real and we believe it all the way through. And his name is Satan, he's called the enemy, he's called the prince of darkness. There's a lot of different names scripture gives him. But from the very beginning, he has had two tactics, only two. And his two tactics are, number one, he's a deceiver. He's a liar. And then secondly, he is an accuser. 
He's an accuser. And so he lies and he accuses and he lies and he accuses and he does that. He's been doing that from the beginning and he continues to do that. How does he lie? Here's how he lies. He looks at what God says is good and he says it's bad. And he looks at what God says is bad and he says it's good. And he deceives us. He says that which God says is healthy and life-giving is actually restricting and restraining. And that which God says is bad and is evil and is gonna hurt you is actually the way to freedom. And we believe it and we sin And the Bible says that as soon as we sin, the accuser is right there to accuse us now. And he looks at us and he says, how dare you? And God could never love you. God could never forgive you. And God could never use you. And for some of you, for some of us, there's some stuff in here that maybe nobody has ever known about. There's some stuff in here that's pretty ugly that no one has ever found out about. And this is stuff, maybe for some of you, there's stuff in here that honestly, I mean, you've been forgiven of it. Christ has forgiven you. There's nothing you can do to make it right. There's nothing you can do to seek restitution. It's in the past and it's been done and no one knows about it, but the accuser just keeps using this thing against you. And every time you try to make a step of obedience to God or do something for God, immediately the accuser is right there saying, no, 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 no. Who do you think you are? You could never do anything good for God because of that. God could never use you. You are always destined to being a second-class citizen in God's kingdom because of that. And if people knew that, oh my gosh, you would be judged so harshly. You know the people around you, they're all such good people and you got that in there and he will accuse you. Let me just say, for some of you, man, you got some stuff in there and let's just be honest. For some of us, we got some ugly stuff in here. For some of you, man, maybe you got some decisions you made. Maybe back in college, there was some stuff you did. There's, there's some places you've been that, my gosh, oh my gosh, you just think back and you're like, I wish I could erase that. I just wish I could get rid of that. For some of you, maybe it's a one night stand that you're thinking about. Maybe for you, it's an abortion, an abortion you never told anyone about. And, it's, and let me, can I just tell you something? You know what makes me, you know what breaks my heart so much? What breaks my heart is not that there's some ugly stuff in here. That breaks my heart. We're capable of doing some pretty bad things to ourselves and to other people. I'll tell you what breaks my heart. What breaks my heart is that for some of you, there's some stuff in here and you have been carrying that and no one knows about that and it has been weighing you down. How heavy that must be. How burdensome that must be. And the accuser has been tormenting you and rendering you ineffective because he keeps pointing at that and saying, God can never use you. God can never forgive you. People would always judge you. And listen, look up here. He's lying to you. He's lying to you. And it's working. It's working on you. And that breaks my heart. And that breaks my heart because your heavenly father wants you free. He wants you to see that, man, that's a lie and God can use you in powerful ways. He wants to use you in powerful ways. And maybe you're just one face step away. So what do you do? What do you do? Here's what you do. Here's what you do. You get with somebody, a friend that you love, someone that you know loves Jesus, and you open this up. You say, hey, can I tell you something? (sighs) Can I tell you something I've never told anybody? but I just gotta get it out because I'll tell you what, it's just been eating my lunch and I wanna tell you about something that man, you're not gonna believe that I did this and this is a thing, which by the way, we should never be surprised at sin in our lives. 
We are not a community of saints here. We are not a community of good people who do good things, not first and foremost. We are first and foremost a community of sinners. That's what we are. We are broken people who come to Jesus to let him heal us. So we should never be surprised. You go to someone though and you say, can I tell you about something? And can you help me? Can you help me carry this? I wanna unload this. And you experience the life-giving freedom of another person looking you in the eyes and telling you, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. And you cannot outsing God's grace. And you are loved by him and you can be used by him. And let's get that thing out of there together and let's pray. Let's pray that God would heal you. And you'll experience the transformation that God desires. Now, let me just say this last thing. I know for some of you, I'm talking about all this and you're saying to yourself, man, I hear you and I, gosh, I just, I'm so convicted. I feel like I need to do this. I feel like I need to do this. But man, you gotta just know, I'm just so scared. I don't know if I have faith to do this. If I really confess, if I really do what you said, I might lose my job. I, it, might, it might, honestly, it might cost me my marriage. If you knew what's in my thing, if you knew that, you gotta understand, I'm just so scared. For some of you might be thinking, if I did that, do you understand that would be the, if I surrendered that secret, do you know how hard that would be for me? And some of you are so scared. And, and here's what I believe. I believe that for some of us, we often fear the consequences of confession more than we fear the consequences of concealment. But I think for those of us who follow Jesus, we should fear the consequences of concealment much more because it's costing us. It's costing us the life and the vitality that Jesus wants for us. So let me just say this. I, I had a couple other things I wanted to say, but I think, I think just by reading the room that we're probably done here. And so why don't, we, why don't we just draw the line there? And can I do this? Can I just pray for you? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for us? Can I pray that maybe God would give us faith to actually experience the transforming power that this pattern might have in our lives? Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I, just, uh, I do just wanna say thank you that you've given us this pattern, God, and we believe that the pattern of confession leads to genuine, true change. And God, we recognize we, you know, we're not first and foremost a community of saints, good people doing good stuff together to congratulate each other on how good we are. That's just not what's going on here. We are first and foremost, fundamentally, a group of broken people who are more messed up than we think we are. And because of that, Father, we, we need your transforming power that comes through the forgiveness of our sins. So would you help us, God, give us the courage, give us the courage and the faith to not just let these word be words be words that we hear. Let us not be like what James says. Let us not just be hearers of the word and so deceive ourselves. Let us be doers of the word as well. And so for someone in this room today who maybe is one faith step away from experiencing unbelievable transformation that confession brings, would you give to them the courage to act on this? Help them not to walk away and forget. I pray that you would help them to, to put this into practice in a really real way. Father, let us be free. Let us be free. Let your people go. We ask these things in Christ's name.